Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We know you're already sitting on your couch drinking alone, so thanks for joining us. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Welcome to Brewing After Hours. I'm Sarah Flora. So there's a documentary by Vice that I saw years ago about the history of vodka. This was long before Vice TV existed, so you kind of have to hunt it down on their YouTube page. If you just search who really invented vodka, you can find it. I suggest you watch it if you like fun alcohol history. I've also found some great information in the book Vodka Politics by Mark Schrad that basically debunks everything about the history of vodka. So let's get to the story of who invented vodka. In 1977, a trade war started between Russia and Poland. This was known as the Vodka War, and it was essentially Poland and Russia's fight over who made vodka first. The story goes that Poland took the claim that Polish vodka came first, to the trade court and said that all other vodka, including that from the USSR or Russia, would have to be called bread wine, which kind of sounds like barley wine to me. Like everything else in this story, it is unclear if that court case even took place. There's no mention of it in the press from the time. You know, that's how this entire story is going to go. It's crazy how little information we have. So the myth continues. Russia originally thought that the lawsuit was a joke, but then they realized that Poland was serious. Uh, So Russia hired a Soviet historian, and I'm not saying his name because if I did, I would mispronounce it so bad you wouldn't even be able to Google it. The historian claims that based on his research, Russian vodka was first distilled in 1478, so the court sided in Russia's favor. The historian basically made up that he had been hired to do the research and there was no evidence to back up the state but Poland didn't put up much of a fight given that they were a little busy actually fighting to regain their independence from the Soviet Union. The origin of the word vodka also is not clear. You know, for such a clear spirit, the history is quite murky. The word is most likely to be of Polish origin and originally in Poland, uh, vodka was called gochalka. And you can find gochalka mentioned in medical texts as early as 1543. So this is the first written account of vodka, putting Poland in the lead position in the vodka war. But does this resolve the question of who created vodka? Not really. There's so much myth and disinformation involved in this story that we may never know the truth. But after a few glasses of vodka, it's not even like you care anyway. Speaking of vodka, my guest today is Harsha Chigaropati, and he is the founder of Belly on Vodka. His mission is to bring vodka and really all spirits into the future by decreasing the negative impacts on our health when we drink them. I'm excited to hear more about Belly on Vodka and how you develop such an innovative product. Before we hear about Belly on, it'd be great to know your background and experience that led you to launching this vodka company. The background for Bellion is 
Well, there's a lot of chance, right? At the end of the day, I mean, I've been reading a bit of your background. It's uh, what about a couple of years ago, you happened to buy a home brewing kit for your husband and then it changed your life. That's essentially what it is, right? Yeah, I mainly do beer mainly because I know how to make it. My husband always tries to get me into distilling and it's just like something that seems so far out of my reach. Um, but I am a big spirits consumer. That's pretty much what it is. It was for me. I mean, the thing is, I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to alcohol because I had my first drink when I was 20, which is kind of, you know, a late bloomer. Let's be realistic here. And uh, the reason I didn't drink was because, well, I, uh, you know, I always kind of worried about my health, uh, my brain cells, liver, etc. And the thing is, I was 20. I had my first drink, uh, I remember, at a bar uh, in college. And as soon as I had it, within 10 minutes, I felt it, and the reality is, I knew I was hooked. I was like, oh my God, I was like, oh my God, what is this amazing feeling? I feel so relaxed. <laughs> and, and, and it just so happened that by chance, I happened to be taking a, you know, a class on pharmacology. And the thing is, I wasn't even majoring in pharmacology. I just happened to be taking that class where I was learning about uh, drugs, what it did to your uh, brain, how, you know, how, how they basically, uh, I, I was learning about uh, neurotransmitters, how they work, dopamine, serotonin, et cetera. And I was like, you know what, is there a way to essentially develop uh, a molecule that would mimic how alcohol works on the brain and basically come up with a synthetic version of alcohol? Because obviously, you know, I like how alcohol felt. At the same time, though, I was very wary of what it did to your body. And uh, synthetic alcohol is what I wanted to do at that point in time. But of course, the thing, the other, the other part also was I only wanted uh, a product if it was applicable for everybody. Also, I grew up in a pharmaceutical uh, family because my family also... Uh, ran a pharmaceutical company. So I kind of knew the background of what it meant to be able to bring a molecule to the mainstream market and what it meant, how much money you would have to spend to uh, do all the trials, bring it to the mainstream to a point where you would actually have to bring it to your know, neighborhood store. And that actually literally is billions, billions of dollars. So I, I knew so, so I knew so I knew that wasn't realistic to, to actually take a new molecule, a synthetic new molecule, and bring and develop the safety profile to the point where you can actually buy it at your local liquor store. So I abandoned that idea and I, I just let it go at that point. But then college was over. I had come out and um, yeah, I had I had joined my uh, family's pharmaceutical company, and it just so happens that we also manufacture this drug called acetaminophen, you know, which is what Tylenol is. I don't know how many people realize that Tylenol can actually be pretty stressful on your liver. Yeah, I think most people are familiar, especially in this uh, industry. <laughs> and, and that's great, but a lot of people don't because after drinking heavily, a lot of people take Tylenol for their hangovers, which is, which is so ridiculous. I mean, unfortunately, they don't know that, but they do, which is a double whammy on the liver. Anyway, getting back to the story. So essentially what was happening in the U.S. was 
a lot of people without realizing were doing things like this. They were taking this uh, Tylenol for hangovers. And they were also, uh, what, what happens is a lot of drugs have acetaminophen in them. And people were actually taking a, you know, a lot of this in different forms uh, and taking more than what they should be. And basically, they were, it was increasing stress on their liver. And what the FDA was essentially going to do was either mandatorily reduce the size of the pill to 325 milligrams from what was 500 milligrams at that point, or they were going to put a liver warning label on it. The company that I was working for and also the family's company is one of the largest manufacturers of acetaminophen in the world. So my approach at that point was instead of doing this, why don't we just come up with a liver-friendly version of it? So what, what I had done was we, we had actually, uh, and at the same time though, you can't change the molecule itself because then if it's a new molecule, obviously you have to spend again hundreds of millions of dollars to redevelop it, et cetera. So my approach was don't change the molecule, add a couple of ingredients to it to make it safer. So that's what I had done. I had taken everyday molecules, added them to this and then made it safer by actually nine, nine times, so 900%. So we, we had done that because we took it to the brand leaders they didn't want it, not because okay, not because it didn't necessarily work, but of course, it's you know when you go to a multinational, the legal hassles of you know how this works, right? Because number one, number one, if you have to if, if you have to say oh it's safer, you have to first of all accept that your original product was unsafe, and you know how the legal lawsuit associated with that is. So it's yeah, so they didn't want it uh, because of that, but of course, uh, the company you know, the family's company, we don't do branded products, we just. Uh, sell the ingredients uh, and the private labels uh, to these uh, you know branded players. So we didn't go ahead with it. But what had happened during that time though was, I personally had a lot had understood a lot more about how the liver worked, how the liver meta metabolism had worked, and then I had actually realized that some of the uh, key enzymes that were were similar to what happened when alcohol was metabolized and acetaminophen was metabolized. And it was the depletion of these enzymes that caused liver toxicity, whether it's acetaminophen or alcohol. Suddenly, my, uh, you know, the whole concept changed to what I did with acetaminophen, why can't I do that with ethanol? So why can't I instead of the, the, whole, the old version of synthetic ethanol that I had thought about and overly complicating it, why can't I take ethanol, the molecule itself, and make it safer by just adding alcohol, you know, uh, molecules to, uh, you know, safer molecules to it. So basically, that's what I had done. I had taken, you know, I had looked at uh, the list of, uh, of course, from the, the learning, etc. I knew that if I had gone with uh, any molecule, there was a good chance that the regulatory agencies would probably say no. So I had looked at what molecules were allowed to be added to alcohol in the U.S. because I knew I was going to launch it in the U.S. There was about 80 of them. We literally uh, brute forced. Uh, about 40 of them that we thought might stand a chance into, you know, animals, uh, literally brute force. We started throwing in and we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animal studies over the years. We got very lucky. Out of that, about five ingredients we got lucky with. They had actually had heptoprotective uh, effects on them. And then we mixed and matched them. And then lo and behold, about eight and a half, nine years later, we ended up with three ingredients when added in certain percentages had synergistic effects that actually ended up protecting the liver. But the key, of course, here being without affecting the buzz. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like your liver has to use these enzymes to basically break down whatever's coming through them. 
and then so they're depleted at the end. Interesting. Yeah, it's one of those uh, things where if, if you try to make a business case out of it and you said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and try to make alcohol safer and try to raise money. Yeah, you'd be laughed out of the room. It's one of those, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, how, how do I put this? We said we had a mission we were going to achieve it no matter what. And because it was self-funded, we were able to do it. But the reality is, looking back at it, uh, it almost was, how do I put this? Uh, it had a less than 0.0001% chance of uh, success. It really is a lot of luck. We got really, really, really lucky. The fact that ingredients that were actually already approved to be added to alcohol ended up working out is just pure luck. It's just really, we got really lucky. That's amazing. That's like a very short timeline given like testing. I mean, after hearing all the work that went into the COVID vaccine and all the testing that happened there and how it was a worldwide effort. And I mean, you're one person and one team doing all this testing to basically try to create an entirely new, almost like subsect of alcohol products that are healthier and not going to hurt us as much the next day. Yeah, that's just fascinating. And it's so interesting how you got there. I mean, you decided you liked alcohol, didn't want the bad effects from it, and then basically made your own. I love it. Yeah, and that's the other part of this. Like, like, like I said, if, 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 we, develop, if, we, uh, if we had... Uh, uh, if we had depended on external funds at that point, there was no way this would have moved forward. So yeah, it, it, because it's a passion project, we were able to get away with it. And of course, we got lucky later because uh, originally it was developed uh, to be safer on the liver. The whole point of this technology is that it it's safer alcohol period, whether you're having one drink or 10 drinks. I mean, hopefully no one's having 10 drinks at one sitting, obviously. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, it's, if you're having a drink, you should be having drinks you know, with this technology and TX period. Um, and then what was happening was when we were talking about liver, uh, people were under the assumption that this was, this was only for heavy drinkers. So then we had to basically try and explain to people saying, no, even if you have one drink, it increases stress on the body. And so you should be drinking alcohol with this technology. But the problem was uh, uh, the liver, power, liver only is harmed after you really you know, stress, uh, put a significant amount of stress on it. So we had to find biomarkers. Uh, that that would uh, you know where uh, it would that would be elevated after just one drink or two drinks. So then we had to figure out what these biomarkers would be, and then we we found some trial that was done I think in Spain where they had shown that after forty eight hours of drinking that there was an increase in DNA damage. I think college kids had done it when they had were drinking beer. So we said, oh hey, is it possible? to try and show DNA damage within after two or three drinks. And then we said, because we need a short-term biomarker to show people that even one or two drinks can increase uh, stress on the body. And then we, got, we, we, went, uh, you know, we went after that. And uh, again, you know what? We got lucky because <laughs> we started with, obviously we started animal trials and everything. Then we do human trials if that works out. And we did animal testing and same thing. 
within an equivalent of two drinks, we showed in animals that there was DNA damage. And then we actually did it in human beings. And we were, and this is something actually I'm proud of. We were the first people on the planet. Nobody had ever done it for us. We did the first human clinical trials and we proved it that after just two drinks, within as little as one to two hours, there is an increase in DNA damage. And of course, we also showed that you know, if you drank uh, you know, spirits with NTX, there's a reduction of DNA damage. And we were also able to show that within 15 minutes of drinking alcohol, that there's an increase of oxidative stress. So the whole point here being that even if you have one drink or two drinks, there's an increase in stress on the body. And if you have an option that you should be drinking alcohol with this technology, that's all it is. Yeah. In one of my videos, we were talking about oxidation because oxidation is terrible in beer. And the fact that you just said that there, when you drink alcohol, you're essentially create oxidative stress in your body. I just offhand said, you know, oxidation is killing us all. Basically I'm oxidizing right now. And people like thought that was hilarious. So I was like, it's real. I swear that's what's killing us. <laughs> the thing is your, your body is always under oxidative stress. I'm not saying oh yeah, alcohol does it. Anything can do that. I mean, even if you, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want us to get sued, but even if drinking a, you know, a cola, diet coke can potentially increase oxidative stress on the body. There are a lot of things that can increase it. The whole thing though is if, if there's a, if your body's always under stress, if, they, if you can do things to reduce it so it can actually uh, undertake other regenerative activities, let it do it. No, no, reason to always, you know, no reason to always stress it out when you, when you don't have to. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we're supposed to be in the era where the first person to live to like 500 has already been born. So we may as well. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, that's what they keep saying. And I think that is so fascinating. And I think it's like products like these that are going to get us there and, you know, advances in medicine, all of that stuff. You've talked about this, uh, these molecules that you've put together. Uh, can you explain what this is. So it's called NTX and it is a part of the belly on vodka. Um, so can you kind of explain the ingredients that are in it and exactly what it does and how it works? Right. So, so basically NTX is the name we gave it. It stands for no toxic, uh, no toxic technology. So basically it's a blend of uh, three ingredients. It's glycerizic acid, which is basically nothing but uh, a licorice root extract. You know, that's just a chemical name, glycerizic acid. And then it's potassium sorbate, which is just a salt. And then it's uh, mannitol. Essentially, these are three reg, you know, everyday regular ingredients that are you know, allowed to be added to alcohol. And these are such common ingredients that if you've literally eaten an old school Twizzler, you have these ingredients. That's basically what they are. Yeah, you can see these on the ingredients list for so many things. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's, it's, it's not like we're taking synthetic, unknown ingredients that could be harmful, etc. So th that's what they are. But of course, you know, j just like, uh, you know, everyday natural ingredients, these, you know, these ingredients do have these therapeutic effects that we found and we're putting it in, you know, uh, this technology. What they basically have is they have antioxidative, anti-inflammatory and immunomodulative properties. What it essentially does, uh, long story short, is I'll just give you a brief background of, uh, you know, the metabolism of alcohol. 
So it's not really, you know, all alcohol is ethanol, whether it's wine, beer, uh, gin, whatever it may be. Um, so it's not really ethanol, ethanol that's bad for you. It's the metabolism process that's bad for you. So long story short, during the metabolism of alcohol, you have free radicals that are essentially generated. These free radicals, you know, they, they generate, they come, they, you know, they kind of attack uh, various parts of your body, but because the metabolism happens primarily in the liver, they kind of come, they attack parts of your liver, DNA, et cetera. And uh, that's what causes uh, the damage. What this does is, uh, you know, the NTX, because of these therapeutic properties I've mentioned before, initially, because of the antioxidant properties, it kind of reduces uh, the uh, free radicals that are generated from attacking uh, the body, the liver in the first place, number one. And number two, because of the anti-inflammatory and immunomodulative uh, effects, it kind of helps the body regenerate much faster than it would on its own, the liver DNA, et cetera. So that's essentially what it does in a nutshell. Fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like it's undoing a lot of the harm we're doing to ourselves. And why make vodka over other spirits to start out? So the reason we did that was because uh, vodka is the most consumed uh, spirit, number one. Number two, it's the most substitutable spirit. And number three, uh, believe it or not, it's the one with the... Uh, least amount of brand loyalty. And this, despite what people say, it's also the one with the least amount of taste loyalty. I feel like a lot of people like vodka, like unless you're drinking martinis or vodka straight, is people just like mix it to not really taste it kind of thing. And it's like, so it it makes sense to me. And Belly on Vodka is because of the licorice root. It's got that slightly sweet flavor. So what, what one of the things I like about it is you don't have to add any sugar. So I made a super, super dry ginger beer and threw it together and it tasted sweet, which I loved because I'm like trying to do as low carb as possible after drinking all that beer. I like try to reduce my carbs with the food. So... <laughs> It's nice to be able to. Ginger beer is actually one of my favorite drinks. Uh, like you said, it's uh, it, it's got a slight uh, sweetness to it. So I, I, honestly, I, I drink it straight. And the other thing, like you said, is a ginger beer. And the third thing is actually as an espresso martini with no sugar, no sugar, just espresso. That's it. Just espresso. That belly in there, no sugar, nothing, and then wakes you up. It wakes you up, and like I said, no sugar, so it, it works out very well. And from a calorie standpoint, also, it, uh, it works out. You know, it works out to your advantage because there's no extra calories in there. Because the funny thing is, the um, uh, uh, calorie to, to calorie, the uh, glycerizic acid is has the same amount of calories, but it's fifty times sweeter than sugar. But, but it's, just, it's got the same amount of calories. So that's where the sweetness comes from. That's, what, and that's why it's also smoother. And it, 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 and it completely cuts out the harshness of the ethanol and the vodka. Oh, wild. And, and again, that, that, that's luck again. We didn't design it for that. We didn't design it for that, but it ends up being smoother. We got very lucky with a lot of things. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I just, and speaking of luck, I mean, the funny thing is, I, I don't speak about it too much because I don't want people to go and think that they can drink all they want. But the, the other thing is the hangover. I, I mean, I don't know how much of a belly you drank, but if you ever do decide to have a fun night, honestly, just stick to belly and drink it. 
you, you will see the next day morning. And every so often I'm reminded myself about how amazing it is. Um, we, we, because, because we didn't design that by any means for a hangover. We didn't at all. But the thing is, you know, when something works on a microcellular level, you can't help it, you know, you can't isolate protection, right? By empirical evidence, when we were drinking it, people were drinking it, they were coming back and telling us, oh my God, it doesn't give us a hangover. And then we had gone into more, uh, you know, we researched it more and we understood the science behind it. And we realized, oh my God, this thing reduces hangovers. And this is the reason behind it. So it's like I said, so, so let's define what a hangover is, right? There's no actual medical definition for a hangover. A hangover is an amalgamation of dehydration it's uh, actually a bit of alcohol. It's a, it's a bit of alcohol withdrawal. It's a bit of uh, nutrition and vitamin deficiency. Actually, it's a bit of a reduction in energy production. It's uh, inflammation. It's all these put together, right? And so, because of the mannitol present in NTX, uh, it's actually an antidiuretic, which means it actually reduces the amount of water you lose in your body. Then because of the potassium sorbate, it actually retains the electrolytes in your body. And then it's got the NTX itself is an anti-inflammatory, which means it reduces inflammation. Then you have, uh, it reduces DNA damage, which means it, uh, re- uh, it doesn't affect uh, ATP production the next day, which means you have more energy. So, and you, I can keep on going on. So when you look at all this, it reduces at the hangover and i'm like that's another lucky thing we got lucky with so it's it's ridiculous how the luck that works over here yeah i mean it's like there's a hangover cure built into it almost you're listing like everything people do to like make their hangover feel better the next day given all of your uh scientific advances in alcohol what do you think the future of alcohol is this is the future of alcohol, and that's what we're working towards. And honestly, that's what I think uh, worries the TTB significantly because it is a future, as far as I'm concerned, I've dealt with them you know, a lot. And it's a future I, I personally think they don't want to see because it's outside their realm of expertise. This is the future of alcohol. The future of alcohol is going to be uh, companies coming out and competing based on how much protection they can offer to the body. The buzz is going to be a given. Taste, sure. It's not going to be a bunch of BS marketing of which celebrity uh, it is or what bottle it is and how many years it's aged and all that. It's really going to be scientific based. I mean, lifestyle is going to be there. It's going to be a given. Yes, everyone, all that. But it's going to be really a little more scientific based. It's going to be based on what technology they're using, who can offer more uh, protection, uh, and all those properties. Functional spirits is the category I would like to call it. I mean, maybe some of the name uh, that's going to take over, but essentially the future of alcohol is going to be functional spirits and technology, evolution of the technology, protection that uh, you know, it offers a body is going to be what people are going to be competing based on. It's like, you know how the razors, for a while went on about, you know, Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4, and then how batteries talk about how they last longer. That's how it's going to be with alcohol. People do want a healthier lifestyle. And what people are doing with electrolyte, uh, lower calorie alcohol is uh, moving towards that. The only difference is we went head on completely aggressively into it 
you know, the other people are going a little slower because the reality is regulations. Regulations don't allow it. We, we went head, head on and really, we, we, I mean, we didn't get slapped. We got kicked out of the, you know, TTBA you know, uh, offices for doing what we did. The other people are doing it a little more a little smart. You know, they've been smart about it. They're kind of working on with the agency. They're kind of uh, bearing on the edge of it, not getting into trouble. We got into a lot of trouble with those guys. So it's it's the future. You know, I've seen a um, shift into the more healthful products in the beer world as well. Um, there's a ton of like sports beers coming out that have electrolytes in them and are meant for basically almost recovery drinks. And they're like low carb, low calorie, but have electrolytes added and like other things and that market seems to be exploding right now. I think everyone's kind of taking a hard look at their drinking habits and then at their like, you know, how healthy they actually want to be. And I don't know, maybe it's just like the millennials uh getting more and more into the uh alcohol industry. And I mean, like the newer generations apparently aren't drinking as much either. So we're kind of driving the we want to be healthy. We want to live longer. And, you know, we still want to drink. We grew up drinking. <laughs> so is there anything else you'd like to mention about Bellion? Are you guys coming out with any new products or where to find you? So right now our focus is uh, online. So, you know, uh, bellionvodka.com is our website. And, uh, you know, you just go online and you buy us on. We're available in pretty much, uh, I think, about a little over 40 states right now. We should be, uh, you know, maybe in a year, year and a half, we will have a couple of more categories coming up. The idea is to essentially have every functional equivalent under the sun. So as to not give uh, consumers any excuse to not drink a functional equivalent. That's basically that, that. That's basically what it is. Love it. And the website is bellyandvodka.com. I cannot wait until you come out with a whiskey because that is my drink of choice. The next two products under development is a tequila and a bourbon. Wonderful. I'm a, I'm a sucker for an old fashioned. <laughs> soon, soon. You'll be one of, you'll be the first as soon as we get it out. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much for joining me. This was such a fascinating talk. I love that we could dive into the science behind all of this and how you got to where you are. Great, sir. It was fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Drinking beer, it makes you happy. It makes me happy too. It's truly manna from the gods of Satan. Let's raise a toast. Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsband on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.